Hey everybody, this is Isaac with Nutrition on the Go with Dr. Bo. And today's topic is going to be how do we maintain a healthy weight forever without having to diet forever. Let's get started. If you're like most people, you may have had this experience yourself where you've struggled with weight to a degree, you've tried something new, you've lost some weight, maybe even a lot of weight, but then ultimately put it back on. If you're in that group, then rest assured you share good company. The reality is, and the statistics show this over and over again, that people are much more successful with weight loss, but fail tremendously in their efforts to keep that weight loss off after they're done. And I think I have a good handle as to why, and I'd love to share some of those thoughts with you tonight. For starters, I think it's important that we understand where exactly does excess weight come from? Well, the answer is it really comes from a lot of different places. Thousands of variables could contribute to somebody's plight with excess weight. But I like to take all of those thousands of variables and neatly place them in one of three different buckets. The first would be the physiological or medical. Examples could include a thyroid condition, a metabolic disorder, a genetic disposition, medications you're on, your age, some other physiological or medical conditions that contribute to excess weight or at least interfere with our abilities to maintain a healthy weight. The second category is often nutritional or educational. We understand most of us at least intuitively that portion control is a big part of maintaining a healthy weight. But most of us don't know what our unique basal metabolic rate is or what our caloric budgets are. At what point do we tip the scale from appropriate levels of eating to inappropriately excessive levels of eating? The third category, and a big one for at least the vast majority of us, is the emotional and the environmental. We reach for foods for comfort, eat out of boredom. There's cultural-induced eating and environmentally-triggered eating. Whether your primary issue is something physiological, educational, or environmental, the reality is that for most of us, it's all three big categories to some degree interplaying with one another and affecting us on the scale. But I have actually very good news, and that is that 99% of us are actually empowered to lose weight and keep that weight off despite those contributing variables. However, in order to do that, we have to first understand of all the contributing variables, which one really, which factor ultimately contributes to most of our excess weight. The answer is absent-minded impulsive eating. We see, we want, we take, we eat. And there's often not even a nanosecond between the sight and the smell and the consumption. Now, when we couple that with the fact that we are, unlike any generation before, constantly exposed to temptation around food, we socialize around food, we celebrate around food, we even mourn around food. Food has become affordable and accessible. We're no longer of the generation of hunters and gatherers that have to burn a lot of energy to consume a lot of energy. We're no longer of the generation where we're lucky if we get to have an animal protein once or twice a month. So when we combine the 
sociological and environmental reality surrounding us with the evolutionary uh, sociological uh, factor of becoming a society that is constantly grazing and picking and adding foods uh, way above our caloric budgets, uh, it becomes a little bit more clearer to us why the obesity rates have skyrocketed over the last 50 years alone compared to thousands of years before that. But let's go for a moment a little bit deeper and let's ask ourselves an important question. Let's say I lost 15 pounds or 25 pounds. Let's say I lost 50 pounds or 100 pounds. Can anyone dinner out with friends, any long weekend, any holiday or vacation cause 15 or 100 pounds of weight gain? The answer is of course no. In order for me to gain back just 15 pounds of the weight I've lost, I have to be ignoring a lot of flags along the way because I'm only able to gain about a pound at a time. I'm only able to go up one clothing size at a, at a time, which means when it really comes down to the bottom line, ignoring data, ignoring the flags of that relapse is huge and a very big part of why people struggle with actual weight management. Remember, at this point, you've lost the weight, but then you look back a year later and you say, whoa, I put it back on. How does that happen? I want to tell you a story. Uh, recently, I had a patient who I haven't spoke to in about 18 months or so call me. And she was really, um, really sad. She said, you know, I was embarrassed and I've been pushing off this call for a long time, but I did so well on your program. Uh, a couple of years ago, but in the last year and a half or so, I just started to slip. And it started off with uh, an illness in her family, and it created a lot of stress and tension in her life. And she started to slip back into old habits. And she kept sweeping the reality under the rug, and she, she kept kicking the can down the road because with every... Uh, incremental gain every couple of pounds she convinced herself like something was going to change automatically I'm, I'm gonna take it right off I'm gonna be better today I'm going to have a really strong week and then once I get a couple of pounds off then I'll reach out and I'll call Isaac and I'll uh, and I'll regain some connection but essentially what she was saying to me was what we know to be true which is after weight loss keeping the weight off really comes down to one thing, doing something with the data. Let's say my healthy weight is 150 pounds. That's where I feel most comfortable. We have to appreciate the fact that I'm never actually going to stay at 150 pounds every single day. Normal fluctuations are going to be up and down a couple of pounds, two here, three there. A long weekend will cause maybe three and a half or four pounds uh, after a long weekend or holiday. Um, but 
then I can bring it back down three or four pounds. Or I could bring it up another three or four pounds. I could take three pounds going from 150 to 153 after a long weekend and I could bring it right back to 150 or I could ignore all the signs and I could bring it right up to 156 and then 159 and before I know it, I crossed into the new decade of 160 and bam, it seems to have happened overnight. But the truth is, it only happened a day at a time, a pound at a time, it only happened a meal at a time or a single choice at a time. So what do I do now with this information? I want to paint a picture. Let's say it's 10 o'clock at night and the kids are in bed and I open up the freezer and in front of me is my favorite Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And I want to eat that ice cream because I'm a human being and like anybody else, I love ice cream. Here's a, a system in which you can follow to help make the decision whether to have that ice cream or not. It's really a system of four basic questions. The first question is, what did I weigh this morning? So if I got on the scale this morning and my happy weight's 150, but I was 151 and a half, that one and a half pounds isn't much, I can at least go to question number two. We'll get to question number two in a minute, but before we get to question number two, let's say I was 152 and a half. Now, that's a different number than 151 and a half. And the reason is because I have a red line. And that red line is always five pounds above the ideal weight. So if your ideal weight is 120, then your red line is 125. If your ideal weight is 195, then your red line is 200. Whatever your ideal weight is, add five pounds to establish your red line. Then identify the halfway mark. Let's go back to my example. I'm 150, my red line is 155. That means my halfway mark is 152 and a half. So back to the story of me opening up that freezer at 10 o'clock at night. If I'm, my first question, if my first question is what did I weigh this morning? And the answer is 152 and a half. I shouldn't go to question number two because I really have to cut it back before I'm really creeping too close to my red line if I actually want to stay below my red line forever. I can't start adjusting my choices at 154.7 if I actually want to stay under 155 forever. So again, question number one, what did I weigh this morning? What's question number two? Question number two is what did I eat so far today? If I indulged in a very heavy uh, lunch because I was out and about and wasn't prepared appropriately and grabbed a couple of slices of pizza, that was my treat for the day. That was my indulgence. Considering what I ate so far today helps identify whether I could really afford to have that ice cream tonight or not. The alternative is it was just another routine day. I had a great breakfast, a healthy lunch a spot-on dinner, and now it's later, way after dinner, and I just want something more. So I can go to question number three. Question number three, what do I have coming up over the next week or so? If I have a holiday or vacation, if I have a lot of social obligations around food, that has to be taken into consideration if I want to be able to indulge in some of those temptations but stay under my red line. If it's just 
10 o'clock at night on some idle Tuesday and I want to have ice cream and there's not much else coming up over the next week, then I'll go to question number four. But if I anticipate a lot of extra challenges over the next few days, I want to go into those challenges on the low end of my range, not above the halfway mark and not with too many indulgences under my belt. Then the fourth and final question I ask myself is, is it worth it? Sometimes, you know, I, I find myself walking into a room, there's a tray of cookies on the counter, I grab one, I don't even like it that much, it's not my favorite flavor, it wasn't baked that well, but I'll still go for number two and number three. It's interesting, it's really just because it's in front of me and I don't particularly like it that much, but I eat it anyhow. If we take a moment and add that data point to the analysis of is this actually worth it? Then many times the answer is yes, and we go for it. But a lot of times the answer is no. Let's just say for a moment that 80% of the time, it's worth it, and we like it. But think about that for a moment. That's 80% of the time. The remaining 20% of the time, if we actually just stop and say, wait, I don't even like this cookie, or this isn't my favorite flavor ice cream, why do I keep eating more and more of it? Then that's just an automatic 20% reduction of excess eating, and not at a very big sacrifice because, again, I didn't particularly like the cookie to begin with. And that, in essence, is what's going to help us attack the primary contributor from where our excess weight derives, that absent-minded impulsive eating, we pause and we develop the habits of asking these questions very automatically. We ask these questions kind of as a second nature. Uh, we do that by practicing these things and early on it feels a little silly. Wait a minute, I'm standing here with this freezer open in front of me and I'm almost in a daze thinking through these four questions. But what ultimately happens after just practicing this discipline for several weeks, and it doesn't really take much more than just several weeks, it really just becomes more routine. I stop and I think, should I eat this or should I not? And that essentially is the opposite of what I was doing when I gained the weight from the beginning, which is if it's in front of me, I'm going for it. But stop for a moment. Stop for a moment and think about what I'm actually saying. When I ask myself, what did I weigh this morning? What did I eat so far today? What do I have coming up over the next week or so? And is it worth it? Is what I'm essentially doing is incorporating mindfulness into my eating and actually reacting to important data that tells me whether I should or should not be enjoying this particular food or not. There's never a black and white answer. Ice cream is bad for you, don't eat ice cream. Or ice cream is fine, eat as much as it is you want. There's really a whole gray in between. Sometimes it's appropriate to eat and indulge and live and let live. And sometimes it's important to exercise some of that discipline around our impulsivity to eat. Stop for a moment and ask ourselves, what is the cost of this choice? What is the benefit of this choice? And should I make the choice to go for it 
and eat? Or should I make the choice to just stop and maybe reevaluate the next time around? But this time around, just say no. But it really does go a little bit deeper than that too. Most people that reach out to us, call us for the first time, and want information about our program are doing so because of some element of stimuli that smacked them upside the head. It could be, whoa, I just got on the scale for the first time in months and I haven't seen this number ever. I'm at my heaviest weight. Or I just got back from my annual checkup with the doctor and he told me I'm a pre-diabetic. Or I realized, oh my God, my son is getting bar mitzvahed in six months and I have nothing to wear in my closet. These are the things that happen in our lives that kind of wake us up and say, wait a minute, I really have to do something. So what real trait is that? That's zeal and ambition to make a change in light of some information that kind of scares us or surprises us or helps us wake up. The problem is that zeal and ambition is naturally waning. It's not something that's sustainable. No, I remember as a kid, I remember it well. Um, I think I could remember it even going back to like fourth grade. Every school year, I would start off with the most perfectly organized notebooks and backpack and this real motivation to have a perfect school year with perfect grades, getting every single homework assignment done on time. And boom, you turn around and it's like not even Thanksgiving and everything is uh, in disarray. Now, you might have been a great student from day one all the way through graduation, or you might have been a little bit more like me. Uh, But a lot of what motivates us in any area of our life, whether it's uh, our schooling, our careers, our relationships, our weight loss, our overall health and well-being, our exercise, it, it starts off with the 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 right attitude but then we expose ourselves to failure because we don't think a little bit ahead and and recognize wait uh, are these attitudes actually lasting so what actually helps us lose massive amounts of weight you know even if it's 15 pounds it's still a lot of weight for you or for you if it's not and you need to lose 115 pounds or somewhere in between these numbers are big for the people that are going after uh, this journey so part of what 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 helps uh, us succeed is actual results if I set out to lose let's say somewhere in the middle let's say I set out to lose 50 pounds right so initially it's that stimuli that said get up wake up do something you're at your heaviest point or your son's getting bar mitzvahed in in just six months so get up and do something what helps keep that focus and allows a five pounds to turn into 10 pounds and 10 pounds to turn into 15 pounds of weight loss is actually the results when i when i see those results it motivates me to keep going but the results alone aren't enough we need that positive feedback people around us wow you look great what are you doing you must have uh, really dropped some serious weight there i haven't seen you look this good in a long time and and that also helps us and so getting on that scale and seeing the weight loss getting that positive feedback coming into uh, an office like dr bose and, and having that accountability where uh, you you create a decorum in which you focus on this journey and you increase your accountability also helps keep it sustainable. 
But all of these things are also fleeting. They're fleeting because if our goal is weight management, weight loss is only the prerequisite. That means after I lose the 50 pounds in this example, then I'm not supposed to lose anymore. So I can't depend on that weight loss to constantly feed my need for uh, that ongoing ambition, that ongoing zeal to keep going. Eventually, the people around me no longer remember me as the fat guy. They, they see me time and time again after the weight loss and they stop commenting on the fact that I look great and they stop presenting that positive feedback. This presents a very big problem for people because if you split up your journey for long-term health, health, uh, healthy weight management into two groups, first weight loss and then weight management, your experience in weight management is really very different than in weight loss. You're not seeing that constant result every day on the scale that motivates you. You're not hearing uh, that, that positive reinforcement uh, in any lasting way. So all of a sudden you find yourself without that, that what is it? It's like, it's like a, um, it's like a drug. It's like um, dopamine in the brain that says, wow, this is great. I feel great. I look great. Everybody's telling me how great I'm doing. None of these things, guys, none of these things really last. Eventually, we have to change our strategy and we can't become dependent on that ongoing dopamine fix. So then what does come next? A lot of it is just habit forming. We can't ignore the scale that sits on our bathroom floor because we know we had a couple of days of too much of the this and too much of the that and we don't want to face the, the music. We have to get into that habit of no matter how badly I want to shy away from the scale, I got to get on because without getting onto that scale, I can't even ask myself that first question of what did I weigh this morning? What happens when I ignore the scale is the next flag that gets waved in front of me is my pants are too tight. And once my pants is too tight, then already I'm dealing with several pounds. And that's a lot less manageable than just two or three. If I'm up six or eight or 10 pounds, that's way more overwhelming and more difficult to deal with compared to two or three pounds, which I could turn around in a couple of days. So it's, it's definitely clear that getting on the scale is important, but what's the problem with the scale? A lot of people tell me, oh, I never weigh myself, you know, or a lot of people tell me I weigh myself all the time, but I don't actually do anything with the information. Some people on the program really get obsessive about the number and uh, it sets their tone, the tone or their mood for the entire day. A good number makes them feel great. A bad number makes them feel really terrible. The reason is because unfortunately, too many people use the scale as a source of emotion as opposed to a source of information. The scale is just a tool. 
it doesn't dictate who you are as a person. It doesn't identify uh, on any spectrum the quality that you possess. It's, it's a tool to measure the weight that lies above it. And it happens to be an imperfect tool. It's an imperfect tool because you can get on a scale, you know, three times in one minute and see three different numbers. Now, the different numbers are usually a fraction of a percent off, right? So I can get on the scale at 752 this morning and I could see 150.1 and then I can get on the scale at 752 in 30 seconds and I could see 151.9. I didn't gain in a half a minute uh, that fraction of a pound. Um, so it's an imperfect tool to that degree, but it's also imperfect because it's not actually identifying just uh, excess weight. It's also giving us the total weight, which includes really three categories of weight. There's good weight, like our bones, our muscle, our tissue, our organs. There's the bad weight, that's the abnormal excess stores of fat. And then on top of the good weight and the bad weight, there's also the artificial weight. That could be fluid retention, decreased bowel movements, metabolic changes, or hormonal shifts. We have to recognize that the scale is an imperfect tool, that sometimes there's some artificial weight on the scale, and that the scale really should only be a source of information and not a source of emotion. What we can ultimately look at is, in addition to getting into the habit of getting on that scale every day, is also getting into the habit of paying attention to what drives the scale primarily week to week and month to month. And that is not good weight, bad weight, or artificial weight. That is our behavior around food. The scale goes up and goes down based on how we're eating. Now, yes, it's true. I could have had some excess sodium in my diet last night and the salt creates some fluid retention and there's some artificial weight today because of my eating yesterday. But that artificial weight is just artificial. It's fluid retention because of excess sodium. It's not actually abnormal excess stores of fat. But that's not the kind of behavior or eating that I'm referring to like extra sodium. We have to go uh, a little bit deeper and understand that most people look at their behavior around food in a very superficial way, in a very incomplete, narrow-focused, or short-sighted way. So for example, a lot of people will tell me, for the last two months, Isaac, I completely cut out all starches and sugars. And I lost five pounds initially, but I can't lose any more. And I still got like 30 to go. Why, when cutting out all starches and sugars, did I not get past my initial five pounds of weight loss? Some people will say to me, I, for an entire week, only ate salads. So, first of all, what is a salad? What is a starch and sugar? A salad is a mixture of vegetables, right? Examples of starches and sugars are bread, pasta, chocolate, cookies, or candy right? So what's narrow focused in these two examples of one person cutting out the starches and sugars and the other person sticking to only salads? 
the answer is that the, these individuals are only focused on one of four elements that are uh, appropriate when structuring a, a true diet plan, and that is the types of foods that they're choosing. So first of all, there are four basic food groups, right? There's proteins, there's fruits, there's vegetables, there's whole grains, there's dairy. These are the four basic food groups that we know from, uh, from third grade nutrition class. Um, but the types of foods we choose uh, within these four food groups uh, are, are just one element. What about the portions in which we consume? How much? Can, can somebody actually gain weight on celery and lose weight on ice cream? The answer is yes. Technically, you can. If you have a, you know, it sounds silly, but a huge garbage bag full of celery sticks, pounds and pounds of celery sticks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a week, uh, you'll gain weight. And if you only eat one scoop of ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and nothing else all day for a week, you'll lose weight. It sounds like a silly example, but what's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is that the type of food alone is not enough to look at. We also have to pay attention to the portions we're consuming. So if I'm just cutting out starches and sugars, but then I'm overloading on a lot of other things, uh, high glycemic fruits, tons of different proteins. If I'm in a caloric surplus as opposed to a caloric deficiency, then although I made changes to the types of foods, I didn't add an appropriate level of portion to what I am actually eating. In addition to the types of foods we choose and the portions we consume, there's also the things that we add to our food, what I like to call methods of prep, like sauces and condiments, dressings, spreads, and dips. Let's go to that example of, of the patient that tells me that they're only eating salads for a week. There are a lot of different uh, choices when you're picking a salad. Not only which vegetables you put in, and not only how many vegetables, but also what you do in terms of adding flavor. Are you drowning it in a thick, fatty, high sugar, uh, creamy dressing? Or are you dipping uh, a forkful of your salad into a side of dressing that is lower in sugar and lower in excess fat? The point is that we can't just think about the types of foods in this salad like the different vegetables we're choosing. We can't just think about the portions like how much of these different vegetables and proteins in this salad am I consuming. We also have to think about what are we adding, the sauces, the condiments, the dressings, the spreads, and the dips. And in addition to those three elements of type, portion, and preparation, we also have to pay attention to the schedule of, of which we're eating. What are the interval of times between the meals? What is the distance between our last meal and bedtime? That's also important. So when you're thinking about your behavior around food, don't just think in these narrow focused and absolute terms like, I cut out all starches or I'm only eating salad this week. Think about type, think about portion, think about preparation, and think about schedule. When you see the scale climbing up, be honest with yourself. If you know about the excess sodium in your diet, or you haven't gone to the bathroom in a couple of days, or it's that time of the month where hormones are a little out of whack, yeah, it could be artificial weight. But self-awareness is really critical. If you know that you haven't been paying attention so much to all the different elements at play, 
yeah, I've been eating, you know, pretty healthy. I've been making the right choices, but you're ignoring the portion. Or you're eating the right portion and the right types of foods, but ignoring the preparation. Or skipping meals. Or eating really late at night and ignoring the schedule. Be honest with yourself. Just earlier today, I uh, was, was talking to somebody. And he was, it was the first visit in, it was his evaluation. He was telling me a little bit about what he's eating. And he was describing that he had hard-boiled eggs for breakfast and he had salmon and broccoli for lunch. And he's saying, I don't understand why I'm dealing with like 55 pounds of excess weight when I eat this way. And I said to him, well, stop for a moment. I said, stop for a moment and don't ask yourself what you're doing right, but ask yourself what you're doing wrong really dig deeper and it didn't even take him five seconds to admit that just a couple of nights ago he had fists full of cereal during a stressful conversation on the phone that he's evolved into uh, someone who uses food to cope with stress and he didn't even realize that he had practically a box of cereal until it was all gone because it became so automatic Self-awareness becomes important and, and focusing on what we do wrong becomes important because it's the first step in finding the right solution. Uh, I'll tell you a story about something that I changed in my life a, a long time ago that I find to be uh, very helpful for myself. I, I got to know myself a little bit better and paid attention to some of the habits and I recognized that when food is in front of me, I too often eat too much. Despite everything I set up until now, and all the mindfulness I try to incorporate into my eating, the environment of just being right in front of food really makes it difficult. So by honing in on that one particular uh, reality that I'm, that I'm facing, I thought a little bit deeper, what can I do differently? And the solution I came up with was pretty simple, but as simple as it is, it actually had a remarkable change. So Friday night dinner, Shabbat, always sitting around the table. And for my whole life, up until about a decade ago when I made this change, it was always family-style serving, meaning dining room table, platters of food in front of us. Surrounding the table, my beautiful family. Friday night, sitting there for hours talking about our week, relaxing, connecting with our kids, connecting with my wife in ways that you can't do as often during the regular week. But the downside to sitting there for two hours with big platters of food in front of me is instead of having my meal in a total of five or ten minutes and then just keeping my hands tied for the remaining hour and 45 minutes, I was picking and grazing and eating way, way more. So the solution became pretty simple. Let's use the island in the kitchen and let's create buffet-style serving. Create a barrier, just 10 feet between my dining room table and my uh, island in the kitchen so that I have to actually stop, pick up my plate, walk the 10 feet, and put more food on my plate and then walk back 10 feet to the dining room before I sit down and eat. I created a barrier between the impulsive temptation to just grab absentmindedly from food in front of me. And that made a huge difference. It cut out a lot of that excess eating on Friday night. And the numbers every Sunday morning really showed. So how did I come up with that solution? 
the only way I was able to come up with a solution was identifying first what was actually wrong, what was getting in the way of me meeting my goals to maintain an appropriate portion, and then taking steps to correct it head on. So we spoke about a lot of different things today, and if you really think about it, we didn't talk that much about nutrition at all. We didn't discuss the difference between, let's say, starches and protein, uh, or how different fruit choices affect our waistline. We didn't speak about those things because the reality is most of our excess weight doesn't come from some educational deficiency around nutrition. It really comes primarily from the habits that we formed in the environments and societies in which we live. This absent-minded eating, this approach to weight loss with ambition or zeal, this failure to look at the scale the right way or break down the food choices uh, around type and portion prep and schedule, the inability to really dig deeper and look at some of the, uh, the primary contributors to our plight, uh, the, the human nature of focusing on what we do right versus what we do wrong. This is for most of us the reason why uh, excess weight is so prevalent in our life. So what's the solution? If we just go to a nutritionist or we just take a medication uh, or we just follow a basic plan uh, to try and attack uh, excess weight, then we might succeed at losing the weight, but we'll never succeed at keeping the weight off because we're never getting to the root cause. We're never getting to the underlying uh, primary contributors that got us here to begin with. When Dr. Bo created this program, he knew very early on that it can't be focused just on what we're eating or how much we're eating. It has to go beyond. Can't just address the nutritional piece. We have to address the behavioral piece. We have to understand the reality around us. If you're like me, you don't eat the same way on the weekends that you do on the weekdays. And you don't eat the same way when on a vacation celebrating a holiday that you do uh, the way you do on a regular day. Um, I don't eat the same way in the summer that I do in the winter. So when we accept these realities and we, we focus on them as unchangeable truths, then we can start to take approaches and start to incorporate strategies that are much more lasting because we're not trying to be someone we're not. We're not trying to live in a world that doesn't exist. We're accepting who we are. We're taking advantage of our strengths. We're compensating for our weaknesses. We're accepting the reality around us and we're taking the appropriate steps to address those things one at a time and make changes that are actually lasting. It is with that strategy, my friend, that allows us to actually maintain a healthy weight forever without having to diet forever. I never said, don't eat that ice cream at 10 o'clock at night when the kids are in bed and that haagen is staring us right in the face. Instead, I said, eat it or don't eat it, but make the decision in a really smart way. Do something with the data. 
react to the scale, pay attention to our strengths and weaknesses, focus on what we do right versus what we do wrong, get down to the root cause, and in time we can slowly and appropriately, effectively change just enough of the habits that we formed to create that balance that we really seek, that balance of living in the real world and enjoying the food around us, but staying true to our goals on the scale. I present to you a challenge tonight. Get up tomorrow morning and get on that scale. Do it in a very standardized way. Don't weigh yourself multiple times a day. That artificial weight will fluctuate throughout the day to a pretty large extent. Just get up first thing in the morning before you eat, after you empty your bladder, get on a digital scale without clothing and write down the number. Then throughout the day, pay attention to any eating. Before you actually pick up a food and put it in your mouth, take a pause, just 10 seconds, and ask yourself, why am I eating this? Is it worth it? Do I need it? Can I afford it? Then get on the scale the day after and the day after that. In one week, next Wednesday morning, Compare your weight, that, that first thing in the morning before you eat, after you empty your bladder on that digital scale without clothing, compare that measurement to the measurement from tomorrow morning. And what you'll most likely find is by just taking one small change and putting that pause between the sight and the smell and the indulgence, that exercise of mindfulness can really have a remarkable effect. The reason I want you to really do the comparison one week out next Wednesday morning compared to tomorrow morning is because day to day, there's more of an influence of that artificial weight that we spoke about. But week to week, we get a much better sense of how we're doing overall and how the decisions we're actually making are affecting us on the scale. When it, uh, when it comes to the, the weighing in, in between, uh, remember what I said earlier, don't let it act uh, as a source of emotion. Don't let that scale be a, a tool to dictate your emotion, but rather let it be a source of information. If on Friday morning you're doing really well and Friday night uh, you want to have a little bit extra here or there or indulge in a dessert, then, then go for it. You're down from Wednesday morning and maybe you could afford it. Uh, so use the, the number every day to really make mindful decisions supported by the data. I'm up, I'm down, I'm on task, uh, I'm, I'm on target towards my goal or I'm not. But then to really kind of seal and understand uh, whether this approach is lasting, uh, look week to week, look next Wednesday. And if that one change of just getting on that scale, reacting to the data and being more mindful about our, our decisions were helpful, then stay the course and turn one solid week into two solid weeks. But if that didn't do the trick, if next Wednesday you're no different or even worse, you've gone up a couple of pounds, 
then go deeper. Hone in on not the things you're doing right, but the things that you're doing wrong. And think about some of the steps that you can take to compensate accordingly. Reflect on the story I shared with you earlier in my personal life when we switched from the family style serving on Friday night to the buffet style serving and how that little change had a big impact on the portions I was consuming. That's just an example to highlight how when we hone in on our plight, on the specific factors that contribute to our plight, and we take a moment to try and identify real practical simple steps that compensate accordingly, it can really have a lasting effect. At any point, if you can't push the needle forward, reach out to me, give me a call. Whether you're a patient on our program or not, I'm always here to talk to people about what I'm really passionate about, about really making changes to your, your health in a very, in a very impactful way. Uh, You know, weight management, guys, it goes so much deeper than just your health and well-being uh, on a medical level. A healthy weight also has a tremendous impact on our self-esteem, on our confidence. And our self-esteem has a tremendous impact on our social lives and how we perform at work vocationally. It helps us in way more than just the simple uh, reduction of exposure to disease like hypertension or diabetes. It really has a tremendous impact on the quality of our lives, not just the longevity of our lives. So the journey is worth it. The journey is worth it but the journey is long and you can't measure your success or lack thereof in just a single day or in a single week. You could see if you're on target and then whether you're on target or not, stay the course or adjust accordingly. But also manage your expectations. Manage your expectations appropriately. Like any long journey, there are going to be speed bumps along the way. There are going to be detours that we have to navigate. That's par for the course. That's normal. What that means in the context of weight loss is you'll have a couple of good days. You'll have a couple of bad days. You'll have a couple of really successful weeks and you'll have a couple of really unsuccessful weeks. But if you stay the course, if you navigate those detours, if you overcome those speed bumps, and you keep your eye on the prize, your destination, you will get there. If you don't, you won't. If the first speed bump on your long journey throws you off kilter and you give up, then there's no opportunity for success. If you think that your strategy is going to be perfect every single meal, every single day, every single week and every single month, then you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not managing your expectations and living in the reality of what this journey is like. You know, weight loss, it's like a game of basketball. The teams go back and forth. You're up five, you're down three, you're leading by six and you're trailing by four. It's a constant back and forth, but it really doesn't matter 
whether you're up five or down five at the end of the first quarter. It only matters where you are when the buzzer sounds at the end of the fourth quarter. The game is long. The journey is long. You're going to be up some days and you're going to be down some days. You're going to be leading. You're going to be trailing. Expect that. By expecting that, by managing our expectations, we help ourselves in a tremendous way. Because when the first quarter in this analogy, uh, when this in this analogy of, of the basketball game, when this first quarter is over and we're trailing, we don't go into the locker room and, and give up and call it a game. We, we regroup. We, we think about our strategy and we adjust accordingly so that we're a little bit stronger in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. This is part of the process. And, and the sooner we accept this as a reality, the sooner we are setting ourselves up for a really successful outcome and for a victory in the end. Well, that's it for tonight, folks. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback. This was fun for me to sit here tonight and talk to you. Please reach out to me, email me, um, Isaac at drbosediet.com. That's I-S-A-A-C at D-R-B-O-S D-I-E-T dot com or just pick up the phone and give me a call. You can reach me from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every single day at 516-284-8248. Share with me your thoughts. Explain to me where you struggle. Help me understand what's going on for you and hopefully I can help you see the light at the end of this dark tunnel. Hopefully I can help you navigate this journey and together we can experience the joy and the success of feeling great, looking great, improving our health and well-being, increasing our self-esteem and our confidence, improving substantially, not just the longevity of our lives, but also the quality of our lives. Until then, good night and good luck.